the average person has 75,000 thoughts per day that goes through our head. The majority of those thoughts, like over 80% are negative. And on top of that, 91% of the thoughts that we had today are the same ones that we had tomorrow, yesterday, and they're going to be the same that we have tomorrow. And so there's, we just kind of have the same negative self-talk that is constantly just churning through our head every single day of our lives. And we only have about 10% of variability where we actually can shift that and, and change the narrative inside our own heads. If we have this belief about ourselves, well, I'm a failure in life. And this is what you say to yourself. Like, I wish I was so much further in life. I should be skinny, but I'm not, I'm fat. And I'm always going to be fat. And I've done these other diets before. And I failed on those because I just fail from dieting. And I have a terrible relationship with food. And they have, have all these things that they're saying to themselves. And they can draw on other experiences with diets and be like, well, I, I tried this diet, I worked with this trainer, I, I did this thing, I did this boot camp, and I all failed. And it's all proof to them, it's evidence to them that yeah, they are failures. If those are the beliefs that we hold about ourselves. And we start something new and we start to experience some success that is contrary to our beliefs. This is where self-sabotage comes in. Our actions are all of a sudden out of sync or out of alignment with what our own true internal beliefs are and our, and our internal beliefs are that we don't deserve this. We can't do this. We are failures. We are fat. We can't be healthy. And so we have this like correction that we make because we want to be congruent as humans. We want to be consistent with as humans. And this, even if it means going backwards and doing something negative to ourselves, unconsciously we do that. Welcome back to the Live Damn Well podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Thrive Market, a fully online subscription-based grocery store that's curated, has all the awesome health foods. Um, one of my favorites is Coconut Flakes cereal, which is delicious. It's almost like a cornflakes, but it's like sweetened with, um, I believe it's coconut water and some sea salt and coconut meat. And it's absolutely delicious. So I would go check that out. They also have some non-toxic cleaning products, a bunch of supplements, and the best part is they deliver to your door at a fraction of the price that you'd find in like a Whole Foods, for example. Our next sponsor is Magnesium Malate by Jigsaw Health. They have this magnesium called MAG-SRT, which stands for Slow Release Technology. And the cool thing about this is that unlike some really shitty forms of magnesium like magnesium citrate or magnesium oxide or some other ones which are even worse this one gets absorbed slowly into the small intestine so it doesn't just draw in a bunch of water and make you just shit your brains out when you have it um, so i really really like it um, you can get ten dollars off using code live damn well and as for thrive market which i forgot to mention you get 40 percent off your first order and you get a free gift when you join thrive market so the links to both of those will be in the description. If you want to support the show, in addition to possibly checking out some of these awesome sponsors, you can buy me a coffee. Keep me caffeinated. Keep the show going at the link below. Now, let's get into the show. So today I have with me Jeff Later, the co-founder and CEO of Later Lifestyle, a fitness coaching company. And in a broken fitness industry that's built on a lot of dishonest marketing and unnecessary supplements, Later Lifestyle is committed to providing honest fitness information to allow others to reach their best health and optimal fitness. 
Jeff, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for so much for having me on. Excited to chat. I really wanted to start with um, you know some of the core values of uh, your business. Well, first of all, tell me a little bit about uh, later lifestyle, and then we can kind of dig into that. Yeah. Well, we just did a play off my last name, so Jeff Later, <laughs> L-A-T-E-R, kind of a, a rare name. But when we decided, I mean, we we started out, uh, we didn't really know what we wanted to do. We didn't have a vision. We just were passionate about the fitness industry and uh, and helping others and, and uh, initially started out with just our own pursuit of our own fitness goals. And as we started helping others, and honestly, it was way more fulfilling than even accomplishing our own fitness goals. Um, <clears throat> and we got our start kind of in bodybuilding, taking it to the extreme. Uh, just childhood goals that I was able to play out in, in real life and as an adult. And um, so I helped a lot of people in that area initially and um, really got, it kind of shifted my direction more towards lifestyle and, and helping people find a way to get fit and stay fit without all the crazy restriction that, that exists with most, most diets. And, and I got exposed to the most restrictive diet as a bodybuilder. I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy, crazy strict. It has to be because of the extremes that you're going to. And so it, it kind of made me go in the opposite direction where I want to find something that is a little bit more flexible, a little bit more sustainable, um, but also allows you to get in great shape. Um, but you can have dinner with your family and, and have pizza on the weekends if you want, maybe have a drink with friends here and there and still stay fit. And it is totally possible. Um, but it's often not even uh, presented that way to people. And it's just like, it's black and white. You either eat clean and you be fit or you go the other way and you're just not going to be fit. And it's not, that's just not the, the case. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not too familiar with how uh, like bodybuilding competitions work, but uh, from what I've seen from other interviews of yours, I'm kind of looking into your bio. You did quite a few shows before you earned that pro card, right? I sure did. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm sure I don't have the record for the number of shows, um, but before turning pro. Um, but yeah, I did. I did 40 competitions and it was that 40th one that I finally earned my pro card. Um, and it, which is, it's a lot. I mean, I would say the average competitor does less than probably less than five and, and the majority only do one, um, mostly for the experience. Uh, for me, it was, it was just something that I viewed as a goal. Um, I got kind of started, I got started a little bit later than most people do, uh, on the competition scene. And so I really went all after it, went all in on it. And, uh, the goal was to turn pro and that was my finish line. And so once I achieved that I retired <laughs> from competing okay and you were working during that time I'm assuming uh, elsewhere yeah uh, well I was initially um, and then in 2012 went full-time uh, with coaching uh, entirely and that was my only uh, source of income and did that and the reason I bring that up is because um, you mentioned kind of like this argument that I hear a lot with bodybuilding and I don't even know if it's really like an argument I think most people would probably agree that it's uh, taking it to the unhealthy extreme, whereas, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people that think that health is this perfect shredded physique where, you know, you don't have an ounce of body fat on you and you're pretty big and muscular. But I think, um, you know, from what I know, and, you know, you can tell me if you agree or not, I think that getting to that sort of extreme in a lot of ways is not very healthy. So for you, did that kind of start to take a toll on you that like, you know, building up and then cutting phases like over and over and over again. Was that something that led you to create this sort of more balanced later lifestyle company? Absolutely. Um, you know, as you said, I think when you see a fit person that is re really, really, really lean, um, I don't know if everyone else views that as healthy or not. I think ideally you're like, oh yeah, well they don't have very much body fat, so they're healthy. But when you're competing, by the time you're on stage and you're like, you know, as dialed in as you could possibly be, you are not healthy. Um, in fact, for most women, their menstrual cycle had stopped months prior, um, which is a sign of, you know, uh, nutrient deficiency of extreme caloric deficit. That can happen in a diet too, but um, it's almost expected for a competitor. Um, and, it's, and it's just very, very extreme. So, you know, are you healthy by the time you get on stage and what you see on magazines? No, you're not. Um, can you be? Yes, um, probably not when you're all the way <laughs> dialed down and you're on stage, but um, 
you can be pretty close to that and still be healthy. And that is a little bit of a misconception because there are some people that'll take a very hard stance to get that and say that you can't be super, super lean and healthy at the same time, which I completely disagree. Um, it is possible. It's maybe not possible for everybody, um, but you can have like perfect blood work, um, which I do, uh, and, and be very, very lean. Maybe not like stage ready, but that's not realistic to walk around at anyway. You don't feel good. You feel like crap actually by the time you're that lean. You just don't function well. Okay. And so what would be kind of the, um, the dangers there with uh, getting so lean? I mean, you mentioned, you know, losing your, your period. Um, something that I've heard, but I'm not sure is true, is like your testosterone levels could drop. Uh, what else is kind of like the, the unhealthy side of cutting that much? Yeah, well, the, 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 your body has a natural response to a caloric deficit, and it's, it's simply there to help us survive as a, as a species. So it's kind of your natural defense mechanism. So as you start to decrease calories and increase activity, it puts you into a caloric deficit. So it, is, it really does kind of come down to calories in versus calories out. And if there's more calories out than calories coming in, you're going to lose weight. Maybe that's muscle, maybe it's, maybe it's fat, but as a result, your body adapts to that. So it's something that's known as um, metabolic adaptation. And, and what happens is your thyroid output decreases and it's doing that. The reason why it's doing that is because it views weight loss as a threat. It's a threat to your survival. It doesn't know the difference between starvation and a diet. It's like, oh no, we're in a diet mode. We're, 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 we're not in starvation mode, don't worry. Your body doesn't know the difference. It's basically just saying, look, we're not getting enough. This is not good. We are losing weight. We need to do everything we can to prevent that weight loss. And so what it does is it slows its metabolic rate by lowering thyroid output. Um, it also will lower testosterone levels in men and women. Um, it can disrupt all, all sorts of reproductive hormones. So you see that with, with women a lot where, um, and the reason why a menstrual cycle stops is because it doesn't view that as a necessary process to keep you alive. And so it'll shut off unnecessary processes if resources are limited, which they are in an extreme deficit. And, and this, again, this can happen with any given fad diet because um, some of those are often very, very strict, very extreme. Um, and if you do it for a long period of time, you're guaranteed to have a severe metabolic adaptation. So it is normal and natural for that to happen, but competitors take it to the extreme and you can reverse yourself out of it um, it's just that most people don't do that very effectively or at all. Um, but it is, it is something that competitors are a little bit more aware of, but the average dieter is not. And so the average dieter runs into a lot of problems later. And, and again, this is one of the reasons why people plateau is just that adaptation. Um, and, and they don't do things to protect their, their hormones or their metabolism. Is this where, you know, this concept of reverse dieting comes in to kind of prevent that metabolic adaptation? It's not going to prevent metabolic adaptation, but if somebody has become adapted uh, in a diet, it can be a method uh, to help climb their way out of that. So like, you know, let's say you start out your diet and you've been accustomed to eating 3000 calories. And so you cut that down all of a sudden you're doing 2,500 calories and that works for a little while. You lose some weight. Um, and then you stop. Why do you stop? Because your body adapted to it. You got, you got used to 2,500 calories uh, of intake. So your metabolic rate dropped, 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 dropped until the point where 2,500 calories was no longer a deficit. So you have to take away more calories or increase your output. So maybe you're doing more cardio. And that just continues. And, what, and if people don't do things in that process, then they're going to experience a very severe metabolic adaptation. But there are things that you can do um, during the process to help protect your metabolism that most simply don't do because they view it as something that's going to slow down your, your progress. So they could introduce like periods of time where they increase their calories and they're, and they're actually, and this is something that a lot of bodybuilders and other new, you know, intellectuals have done throughout the, the, uh, the past 20, 30 years, maybe even before that. Um, but it was finally validated in a study done, um, I can't remember how long ago, it was probably just five, six years ago, uh, called the Matador study, where they actually did a diet break. And so they, what they did is, and they compared this to a group where they just dieted straight for 16 weeks versus a group that 
dieted for two weeks and then went to maintenance level calories for two weeks and then dieted for two weeks and maintenance levels for, for two weeks. And they did that over a period of 32 weeks. And not only did those, did those people that took a diet break lose more weight, but in the end, their hormones and their metabolism were healthy. So that's fascinating. It's pretty crazy, right? But um, so did it actually slow them down? No. And what it did is it made it so that they could actually maintain the new weight that they were at at the end rather than slingshot backwards because you had caused so much metabolic adaptation in your effort to get there quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you on that. I think that's like, that's some, that's one of the biggest issues with most people that are trying to lose weight um, is that they just go in too hard, too fast. And then they get to that point where they're just not losing weight and then they panic and then they drop more and then it becomes a vicious cycle where they, you know, they, they might become, uh, you know, they might not be able to sleep so well. Their, you know, uh, sexual function just like is gone. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it seems like really taking a, a more cautious approach where it's like step by step, um, dropping calories slowly, um, increasing protein intake, increasing fiber intake so that you, you still feel full. Because um, I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen online a lot is like, oh, well, create a calorie deficit. It's just a calorie deficit. It's that simple, right? But it's like, well, yeah, it, it is. But, you know, creating it practically is where it can get kind of tough for people. Yeah, and it's that that is, I mean, it, it is that simple because that is what's required in order to lose weight. But if that's the only thing that you do, then your body's going to respond the way it's supposed to in, in trying to protect itself. And so like what people will do is, um, so let's take keto, for example, mm -hmm. it's very popular, uh, but it could be any given diet. And, but the thing about keto is like, it's supposed to like the, the claims and the benefits that people mentioned about is that you can lose weight fast and that's very appealing. That's what everyone wants. Well, who would, if you could lose it fast, why wouldn't you? Of course. So let's say you lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Very, in order to do that, you'd have to really scale back on your calories. And, and just due to the way that ketogenic diet is designed, you're not eating any carbs. And carbs attract water. You know, it's part of the, the second half of the word, carbohydrate, right? People don't even realize that. So if you remove carbs from your diet, then you're automatically going to drop a certain amount of body water. So that results in the, the initial acute weight loss. It's not fat, it's just weight that you're actually, your body actually needs because you need to have a certain level of hydration. So you drop that water and then and you do drop fat, most likely, um, over that period of time. So let's say 10 pounds of the 30 pounds that you lose over 30 days is water. Um, and then you lose 10 pounds of fat. Well, what's the other 10 pounds? Well, due to the fact that the way keto is designed and that it needs to be very low protein, because if you eat too much protein, it'll actually kick you out of ketosis. People don't realize this. They think it's everyone's just eating steaks and, and all sorts of protein with it, but you can't. It would kick you out of ketosis. It's, it's going to cause an insulin response. So you have to eat low, low amounts of protein to the extent that it's not supporting the muscle mass that you have. So what's those, that other 10 pounds? Muscle. Hmm. And so when you lose that, and that's pro that might be a little bit more, but in some cases it could be. Um, you lose 10 pounds of muscle. 10 pounds of fat, 10 pounds of water. When you regain those 30 pounds, not if, but when, you're gonna gain back those 10 pounds of water, those 10 pounds of fat, but you're not gonna regain the 10 pounds of muscle. Why would you? You didn't do anything to regain it. So what you regain is 10 additional pounds of fat. And typically we tend to overshoot. So we don't just gain back those 30 pounds, we gain back, let's say 40. And 30 of those pounds now are fat, whereas before it was only 10. So are you better off? No, you're worse off. And, and not only that, there's all sorts of metabolic adaptation that happened in that time. So you have down-regulated thyroid output, you have down-regulated testosterone output, progesterone outputs down, leptin levels, which has a lot to do with fat loss or fat gain, that's depleted. Hunger is through the roof. And so people binge, they eat all this food, they're like, oh my gosh, I can finally eat normal because I lost those 30 pounds. And, and they're surprised 10 days later that they're up 40. So this is the evil cycle that, that the fitness industry has created. And it's bad. Yeah, you know, that, that's, a, that's a perfect segue because that perfectly explains a lot of, um, 
you know, looking through your website on the about section, you're very much about, I believe one of your core values is no BS. Yep. And so it's that's our first one. what I think, yeah, the fitness industry is all about that. I mean, the perfect example is V shred. <laughs> Somehow he's still like kicking. Uh, he's very good at marketing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so th that's, that's really what it is. It's like all of these dishonest claims about what keto can or can't do what vegan can or can't do what carnivore or paleo like all of these different things um and i think people try to make it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be for the majority of people i think that yeah. for the general population it's like um it doesn't need to be that complicated of like looking at all these mechanistic studies and trying to trying to uh make that into an actual like uh population-based like uh, result because that's not going to happen. It's like the, one of the things that you hear with keto is like, well, you're burning more fat. It's like, okay, but where's that fat coming from? It's coming from your diet, right? Yeah, it's because so you're consuming more fat. <laughs> by necessity, your body's going to have to burn more fat. Right. It's a terrible argument. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so what else do you see that's, that's kind of wrong with the fitness industry that, um, you know, that maybe most people aren't really aware of? Um, you know, I mean, obviously we touched on keto, but you could say those things about almost any other approach, any other diet. Um, and so you end up with a lot of, um, you know, as you said, you mentioned V-Shred, but they're, that's just one of many. Uh, these They're just trying to, like the advertisements and the, the marketing, they're preying on your insecurities, right? So they say the things that we want to hear, but they're not necessarily going to be true. It's just that we want them to be true. So you could you could classify a lot of people into that category, but I would say maybe one of the maybe next biggest issues is just the people that are actually claiming to be experts. So and and with the way the social media is these days and how everybody can I mean there's really just no barrier to entry, uh, whether you have experience or not, or maybe you you got fit on your own or you're just kind of naturally thin and you look pretty good start posting pictures uh, of yourself and and instantly you're getting a people and friends saying like, oh my gosh, can you coach me? Can you help me? Um, even though they really have no idea how they got there, they were following somebody else's plan or something like that, or they're just naturally like that. All of a sudden they start selling coaching or selling their programs or you know different things like that where they're profiting off that and leading people astray because they don't really know what they're doing. And it's an unregulated industry. And so you get people that really have no clue and they're taking other people's health into their hands. And that's a huge responsibility and people don't take it seriously. They're just like, oh, this person paid me a thousand bucks. Here's a meal plan that I copied on Google. There you go. I put my name on it, but custom. <laughs> yeah. So that happens a lot. And so you get a lot of people that are just unqualified that are, uh, you know, people are putting their trust in them. Um, and it's 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 causing a lot of problems too. What, what do you think would be the solution to that? Because obviously, like you can absolutely look for someone that has you know personal trainer certified, um, or you know even health coaching is like a largely unregulated industry as well. Yeah. Um, except for like I think there there's now starting to be like national board certifications, and that's kind of um, making it a little bit better, hopefully. Uh, but what do you what do you think people should look for? Yeah, well, I mean, how can we fix it? I don't know how we can fix it because um, I don't think we're going to see any sort of regulations happen anytime soon. And even then, it's it's a state-by-state state type of thing. Um, but I think it's it's the consumer's responsibility to do their research, honestly. Mm -hmm. you, you should never base hiring somebody. If you're hiring a coach, you should never base it off of how that person looks. Um. And, you know, it's funny that I say that because I, you know, in my early days, because I, you know, I try to walk the walk and I, and I do think that's important. You should look the part, but you, that shouldn't be the only reason why you hire somebody. Because if they can't duplicate those results, if they can't help anybody else achieve that result, then they're the one outlier. They're the one, they're the one anomaly. And more than likely they have a coach. So maybe you should be working with their coach rather than them. Right. Um, but that's, you know, I think you just need to do your research. Like show me other people that maybe are a similar body type to me. Cause you will find people that, um, other coaches out there that have helped other people, but those people happen to have a very similar body type to them. And so 
they know how to help that person, but you get something that's different, some middle-aged mm -hmm. housewife that's got Hashimoto's and they have no clue, but they won't say that. Uh, they'll take their money and lead them down a road that's totally wrong for them and, and put them in a worse off position. So just do your research, ask for testimonials, look at their before and afters from other people, um, and just make sure it's a good fit from a personality standpoint. You know, if that if the coaching is 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 the route you want to take. Um, other than that, like I, I always tell people, if they're considering a specific type of diet, you have to ask yourself, can you see yourself following this for the rest of your life? Uh, and as someone else put it, if you can't if you can't do it for a day, then don't do it for a decade. Or if you can't do it for a decade, don't do it for a day. Mm. The latter yeah. being more accurate. If you can't do it for a decade, don't do it for a day. Uh, right. Because it's not gonna it's not gonna stick. You might get temporary results, but what's the point? Yeah, you know, something I've heard um, uh, Stan Efferding say is uh, compliance is the science. So whatever you can stick to, whatever diet that you can stick mm -hmm. to long term, that is the diet that is really shown to work because that, that will be what works for you in the long term. And you won't have that like overshoot where you gain back whatever you lost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, what's the best diet? The one you can stick to. Simple as that. That's and that's going to look different for a lot of different people. So anybody, I think one red flag you can easily say that um, you know you can you can use to identify uh, people that are telling you false information is if they say that this is the best approach and it's the only thing that anybody should ever do. Huge red flag. That means they are yes. very close-minded. They're very dogmatic in their views and they believe that this is the only route to take and they're not even going to accept any other possibilities. Um, which if you understand humans at all, you could, you would never say such a, such a thing because it's, mm -hmm. it's just blatantly false. Uh, we all have different uh, <laughs> genetics. We all have different preferences, different schedules, different dieting history. And, and you can't just say that there's going to be one blanket approach. that's going to work for everybody. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, that's really where the art of coaching takes place is like being able to, um, like, for example, take a calorie deficit, say somebody does want to lose fat. It's like, yes, but it's not going to look the same for everyone because mm -hmm. of what you said. Maybe they're, um, maybe they're athletes. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're more sedentary. Uh, maybe they don't like fish. Like maybe, you know, there's all these other factors that really do influence how that caloric deficit is going to look for someone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, that has to be taken into consideration. Otherwise, you know, it, you're just following some cookie cutter approach, and 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 the way the cookie cutter plans are made, if anybody wants to know, you want if you want to guarantee an outcome, just starve them. <laughs> you know, and that's that's what happens. Like y'all, I'll see 250 pound guys that are on 1,200 calorie diets. I mean, I have 100 pound girls that are eating twice that. You know, so I get, but you see that if you want to guarantee an outcome, like, oh yeah, I take these meal plans that I created, these templates, these these cookie cutter plans that we've that we've formulated, and you could say it's science based. Does anybody check that? No, um, mm. but that's that's what they say. And then you go and do it, and yeah, you lose a bunch of weight for a while. Then you adapt to that, and you're stuck because you have nowhere to go. Like, where do I go from 1,200 calories? 800 calories? Yeah, I don't know if I can do that. No, you can't. Then you end up. And you get so hungry in the, in the process anyway that you cheat on the diet and you can't stick to it. So, yeah, just big problems. For you, what do you think, um, what do you think the, the biggest struggles are for, for your clients? Is it the fact that um, many of them have probably tried a dozen different diets and they're just confused on what to do? Or, or what is that? Or is it mindset? Um, you know, if you were to ask the average person, I think they would say that the biggest thing that they struggle with is food. But I would argue against that and say that it is the mindset. It's the limiting beliefs because what everybody does in the end, even if you had a very restrictive diet, you could stick to it if you were in the right frame of mind. And if you didn't have those limiting beliefs about yourself. And so many people do. We just, I don't know how many people I've talked to where they, they self-sabotage because they don't believe that they, they can possibly achieve it. They don't believe that they're worthy of achieving the goals that they've set for themselves for one reason or, or another. 
Um, a lot of beliefs that were established when we were kids that we don't even realize until later in life. And that's kind of getting going down the psychology rabbit hole. But um, it is one of those things that that you that you encounter when you have these conversations. And I've worked with thousands of people. So I'm not just making this up. This is stuff that has come out after we've really dug deep. And so when you are able to help people make that shift internally, then the external transformation is inevitable. It really is. And what does your demographic like mostly look like? Is it people mostly trying to lose weight? Um, yeah, I mean, well, demographic, I mean, we work most a lot of, with a lot of people that are like 25 to, to 55. Um, but the goal that most people have is, yeah, to, to lose weight. Um, I mean, we'll get people that are like, yeah, I want to, I want to build muscle and, um, or they, they say they want to do both. And some people want to take it even further and, and get on stage. Some people want to do a photo shoot, you know, or like there's a big birthday coming up. For some reason, we've had a lot of people that are turning 50 and they want to look amazing for their 50th birthday, um, which is a great goal. And it's totally possible. You can look, you can be in your best shape at the age of 50, even better than you were in high school. Um, and I've seen plenty of people do it. Uh, but yeah, fat loss is always the, it's the biggest problem. Fat loss. And, um, you know, going off of the, the kind of coaching side of things for you, what is the thing that you're the most passionate about or that you get the most passionate about? Like, let's say you're, you know, you're, you're having this client and there's just some part of your program that really just like you get very, very passionate about. Um, you know, seeing the transformations is really cool. Um, seeing somebody win a competition is really cool. But the ones that have the biggest impact for me, because I know it's going to have the biggest impact for them, are the ones where someone's health, <clears throat> someone's health has improved significantly, and and what that means for them. So someone that maybe had been on, you know, high blood pressure medication or had type two diabetes, and all of a sudden they don't have to take that medication anymore and they're, they no longer have diabetes. I mean, that's significant because it adds years to their life. It adds quality to their life that is so much more significant than winning a plaster trophy on a bodybuilding stage. That for me is the most fulfilling because I know how big of an impact it's going to have on their life and, and the lives of, of those around them. Uh, I mean, and as, as passionate as I am about bodybuilding and as fun as that can be, that that's, that's not really going to impact or change your life. It can, it can do a lot of things for you. It can give it, teach you a lot of empowerment and, and show you that you can do hard things and teach you discipline and, and teach you a lot of things for sure. But in terms of like impact and what, what I get the most fulfillment out of, it's that improving someone's health. What, what would you say have been like your biggest learning lessons in learning how to be a better coach? Um, because I think, you know, it, I think it is still relevant, even to those who don't coach, like as a as a job. I think just learning how to be a better coach can really serve a lot of people. Just to you know to be a better leader, to inspire people more, to encourage. Um, what are some of those kind of like uh, habits uh, that you have um, that really make you a better coach? Um, you know, I always have been of the belief in this was probably just due to the feeling of, you know, the whole imposter syndrome when I first started, um, is that I couldn't help people if I couldn't help myself. And I don't, I don't even mean that from a fitness standpoint. I mean that from like a personal development standpoint. And so that's been the focus of, of my morning routines and my studies, because I'm always learning and, and reading something at all times, mostly, or most of the time it's more than one thing, which causes some confusion sometimes like which book was I reading like, yeah. but um but yeah just constantly working on myself I think is has allowed me to grow the most as a leader uh, for my company as a, as a as an effective coach for other people um that's huge um but I think you know in terms of like our coaching style and, and what really impacts others I mean very simply you have to care uh, if you don't truly care about that person, then you're not going to show up for them. You're not going to be, uh, you're not going to go the extra mile that 
really might be the difference maker between them succeeding or failing. Um, and so that's, that's all. If they if I died today, that's what I would want to be known for is that he really cared about, about the people he worked with and, and, uh, it showed in, in the way that he coached that that's what I would want to be said. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, um, you know, even for me, I want to start uh, maybe getting certified as a personal trainer um, and then coaching people that way, maybe like nutrition coaching. I've looked into like uh, Lane Norton's programs and other programs. And so that that's something that's very, very um, interesting to me. And I want to pursue that. And for me, I, you know, even imagining later down the road, once I, I start doing that, I have this sort of block for like charging people. And it sounds yeah. weird, and I, I know it's something that like uh, a lot of people like kind of struggle with. But it's just like it seems like if this is for your health, I feel like it should be, it should be free in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. It does, because that's how I felt when I started too. I mean, I like I said when I first started with my fitness journey, it was all about what I was trying to achieve for myself. You know, it was a passion that I was pursuing from a very young age, and I don't know why, but you know, at the age of 14, 12, I was in the gym trying to figure things out and uh, maybe it was, you know, lack of self-confidence where I was trying to improve that. Um, but I remember when people came to me for advice, I didn't, I didn't charge people when I started, honestly, because I didn't feel like it was something I could charge for. I felt like it was common sense. Like, how do you not know this? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know, eat, do this, go work out like this, go eat this and you'll make some progress. And people did. And they appreciated it. And so, yeah, I did feel guilty and I didn't charge people much at us at all when I did start to charge. Um, but I do think that is probably a, a good place to start when you are just starting out because you are still figuring things out. You're figuring out different bodies, unique bodies. And it's almost like you have like this, this group of people that you do work with for free. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm just getting started. So uh, if you're willing to work with me as like my beta group, my test group, you know, to help me, you know, get better as a coach, then I won't charge you. And that, that, that experience is priceless. So you, you gain a lot of value yourself as a coach by working with those people. Um, but one thing, one thing that is for sure is that if you don't charge people, the likelihood of them actually following through is very low. They have no skin in the game, right? And so we have done free challenges before, and it's very interesting to see the participation rate and the engagement that I see from a free challenge. I'll get a ton of people that sign up for it. Mm -hmm. And like an eighth of them actually do it. It's so frustrating. And, and so we, you know, we started charging and charging and it's interesting to see like at what level you start to see better engagement, depending on the price that you mm -hmm. charge. And, and it's, yeah. you know, it's not like we're even those, those challenges, we do, you're never charging a ton of money. So it's not like we're making a lot of money off those things, but it's getting them to commit enough. So they're like, okay, I invested some money in this. I want to get the most out of it rather than if it's right. free, they just don't appreciate it. So there is that yeah. factor that you have to consider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they feel like they have no skin in the game. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, if I do, it doesn't matter uh, just because I didn't, you know, I didn't pay anything. Yeah. And, and we did the free yeah. challenges before. I think like, people would sign up because we did that in COVID. Like when, when COVID first hit, um, you know, we, we pivoted and pulled all nighters trying to prepare this challenge that was supposed to be launched like three months later but we accelerated that timeline to throw it out there. And we were originally going to charge for it, but we gave them everything and did it for free. And we had like about a thousand people sign up and only about 200 of them, 150 of them actually participated because if it's free, if you're not having to pull out your credit card and put that in there, people are going to sign up and forget they signed up for it because they don't really care. Right. Like, oh yeah. I remember. I think I signed up for that. I don't know. I'm not going to do that. And other people saw it as a great opportunity and, and really took it and ran with it. And they got a lot out of it because now they got to have a lot of value for, for no money. Uh, but it had a, yeah. had a lot of impact on them. Some of those people we actually still work with to this day because they signed up as, as coaching clients. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, that's, it's a common thing for not to, to feel guilty to charge, but you have to understand the kind of impact that you're going to have on their life. And the, you think about what they're spending their money on with, with other things in the health and fitness industry, like stupid supplemental products that aren't going to help them at all, but make promises that they will. And they're spending thousands of dollars on surgeries and, and other bullshit that this, it's going to hurt them. So if you can actually show them how to do it the right way 
and you have their best interests in mind, I mean, it's what that's worth is hard to even come up with a number for. But you have to because hey, we're in yeah. we're in America. We have to come up with a number. But right. but it is you should never feel guilty about charging. So the foundation then should be you know the fact that you actually care about getting this person healthier and helping them achieve their goals. Um, what would you put on top of that foundation as a to be a good coach? Well, I mean, I mean, you have to have the knowledge, right? Um, and yep. when you were talking about some of the things you had been looking at, um, you need that. You need that foundational knowledge and, and good understanding uh, of you know the fundamentals of nutrition, and then tactics that you can use to help people break through plateaus. Um, but if that's all you ever know, and that's as far as you take it, your effectiveness as a coach is going to be pretty limited because when it comes to the real world and the stresses and busy schedules and just people and individual personalities and, and uh, lack of commitment and things like that, if you can't help people overcome those things, your impact is going to be very small. So it, it does take, um, in fact, the criteria that we, we go by when we're, we're looking at hiring coaches is number one, you have to be a good person. Uh, but number two, you have to be able to connect with people because if you can't do that, then you're not gonna be able to impact them truly because the knowledge can be taught. And we, we have an internal right. training process. that's very rigorous, very time consuming, but it's, it's thorough and it, it makes it so that, um, and they're bringing something to the table when they come anyway, but we're enhancing that and making sure that they know everything they need to know. Plus they have us to fall back on, you know, the other, other coaches right. and myself that if they do get stuck, we're there to help them. So, um, and I've had the other coaches that have worked for me that have left and gone on their own. And I'm fearful, honestly, for them. Cause I, I had to help them as much like all the time when they were here. Um, and I, I was comfortable with them being on my team cause I could back them up, but solo, right. Uh, not quite qualified to do that. Um, but, but yeah, having the foundational knowledge is, is important and, and you should always be learning and never ever think that you know it all. Cause you just won't ever, I never will. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough thing to wrap your mind around, but I think that is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, Got to keep an open even, mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like even like, you know, going through college, I'm almost at the end of, of college now, my last semester, and um, it's weird because before high school, I, I was thinking, um, oh well, once I finish college, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna know everything about my major, right? And it's like, no, now I know how much I don't know. It's like there's yeah. so much more to learn here that I barely scratched the surface of, um, and I think that's that's obviously true for any field that you go into. Yeah, I mean that's what they say, right? The more you the more you learn, the more the uh, the more that you know, the more you start to realize how much you don't know, and it's and then so the opposite is true. Like those that know very little, like high school graduates, they think they know everything, <laughs> and they have no clue about the world, right? I mean, it's it's there's so much to learn, so much to know, and you have to remain humble and and coachable and keep an open mind, and and you may like there's ideas and 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 philosophies that have shifted in my time as a coach where uh, I realized that I was wrong and, and had to change, um, my beliefs and, and what I taught just because it wasn't, it was so, I was, it was flawed. It wasn't correct. Like what? Uh, fasted cardio. <laughs> um, uh, that was a big one. You know, if everyone thought that it was more effective to, to do cardio first thing in the morning before eating, it's going to burn more fat. It's not true. Um, eating meals frequently is going to boost your metabolism. That was a frequent thing. And I, I used to say people tell people that when, when I first started, that's not true at all. Um, those are, those are two big ones, but I mean, there's a lot of things like that. I'm sure that, um, have, have shifted that, uh, you know, just through research, um, has, has come about to be like, Oh, well, yeah, obviously this isn't correct. Or, and just through my own personal observations. And how do you deal with that, you know, as a coach? Because I, I feel like that would be something very tough, to, like a tough pill to swallow, where, you know, you've been telling someone this for a few years and then, you know, you read something that, you know, uh, tells you otherwise, that it's not right. Um, it's a tough pill to swallow if you have too big of an ego. Um, I think that you have to accept that 
you know, research is done all the time. I mean, there's no, there's not a study for every scenario out there. And even some of the studies that do exist they're they don't apply to most scenarios that you're going to encounter. And so if you're drawing conclusions off of just studies and you don't ever take any anecdotal evidence into account, uh, you're going to have a hard time coaching. Um, but, but again, you just have to be humble, you know, so, so if things have changed, you'd be like, well, there's studies that have come out that have indicated that, you know, this just isn't as good as we thought it was. Um, it doesn't mean that those methods wouldn't work necessarily. It just wasn't working the way that we thought it was. Um, so like another thing that just came to my mind is that, um, there's been a shift in the supplement industry where everyone was drinking BCAAs before, and now everyone's doing EAAs. And for those of you that don't know what that means, BCAA stands for branched chain amino acids. And it's three different amino acids that are key to muscle growth. And they are unique in that they can be broken down and used as energy within the muscle cells themselves. But when it comes to actually building muscle, because people would drink these during their workouts, when it comes to actually building muscle, they're not effective because you don't have the full spectrum of the amino acids, you only have three out of the nine essential. So it's shifted and there was a study that did come out and it's, it's probably been oh, five, six years or so, maybe less, where that research changed. And you saw the supplement companies now are all coming out with EAAs, essential mm. amino acids. So all nine right. essential amino acids, which you can find in any complete protein source as well. Yeah. Um, but so it's, it's, there, you'll see memes out there where it's like, why are you drinking BCAAs um, when you're eating enough protein on the day? I, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're useless because they can prevent muscle breakdown. They can buffer uh, muscle breakdown. So if you are like on a long endurance run or you're working out first thing in the morning, you don't have much in your system, they can definitely help. So they're not worthless. Uh, a lot of people like to say that they are, but they're not. Um, but the research has changed with BCAAs in particular and and now people are going with EAA. So that's another example. And I had no problem what changing some, my tone yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think are some other supplements that you um, you, you bring up to, to most clients? Um, you know, I keep it very basic. And, uh, and full, full disclosure, I do own a supplement company. Um, and that was actually my, my I, was, I did research and development and developed dietary supplements prior to coaching full-time. But um, I think you need to make sure that you're getting all your micronutrient needs met, which you're, you're gonna have a very tough time doing that no matter how thorough your diet is. So a good multivitamin is important. Um, getting your essential fatty acids through a good quality fish oil is important. Uh, most people are deficient in vitamin D, uh, which is not even really a vitamin, it's more of like a pro-hormone. Um, not a hormone, people call it a hormone, it's more of a pro-hormone. And what that means is basically it converts to a hormone once it's in your bloodstream. So uh, vitamin D3, it's the sunshine vitamin, right? Most of us don't get enough uh, sunshine or sunlight in our lives. And so we end up with um, the vitamin D deficiencies, which have a lot to do with hormone production in the body too. So it's, it's vital to our, our health. Um, and then after that, I would say it's more individual, depends on, on the individual, what, what they might need and what might do they might be deficient in, but those, those three are key. Now uh, on the kind of going back to the uh, mindset piece, um, what do you usually find as like common struggles uh, with, you know, you mentioned limiting beliefs. What else is there that you, you feel like people have a tough time kind of like pushing through that mental, some mental block they have? Yeah, I mean, they could have, um, a lot of people have bad relationship with foods, and I think that stems from dieting as well. Um, and just because like if you, picking on keto again, if you did the ketogenic diet, you are basically taught that carbs are bad. And carbs are the reason you're fat. And if you eliminate those, you're going to get thin. You're gonna lose fat. Um, so we demonize carbs. And so if somebody eats a carb or, you know, whether on purpose or on accident, they feel guilty. And so people, if they, if they screwed up once, they tend to throw in the towel and they, instead of being all in, they're all of a sudden all out. And now they're ordering three pizzas and, and binging on three bags of chips. You know, they're just, they just go hog wild like that. So it creates, I think dieting of itself and restriction in and of itself creates a bad relationship with food. So there's that. Um, 
And then I think people are very mean to themselves. They have a lot of negative self-talk and there's like, there's some crazy research that um, is tied to that, that shows, I mean, these are stats, but like the average person has 75,000 thoughts per day that goes through our head. The majority of those thoughts, like over 80% are negative. And on top of that, 91% of the thoughts that we had today are the same ones that we had tomorrow, yesterday, and they're going to be the same that we have tomorrow. And so there's, we just kind of have the same negative self-talk that is constantly just churning through our head every single day of our lives. And we only have about 10% of variability where we actually can shift that and, and change the narrative inside our own heads. Um, so if you, and, and the thing is too, is like, I don't know if you've ever heard of cognitive dissonance, but basically if we have this belief about ourselves, and what we're doing, like, so let's say it's like, well, I'm a failure in life. And this is what you say to yourself. Like, I wish I was so much further in life. I should be skinny, but I'm not, I'm fat. And I'm always going to be fat. And I've done these other diets before. And I failed on those because I just fail from dieting. And I have a terrible relationship with food. And they have, have all these things that they're saying to themselves. And they can draw on other experiences with diets and be like, well, I, I tried this diet. I worked with this trainer. I, I did this thing. I did this boot camp, And I all failed. And it's all proof to them. It's evidence to them that yeah, they are failures. And they drop on that rather than instead of like saying, well, well, those things didn't work and that's information, that's all it is. And they're not putting the past behind them. They're continually focusing on, on the, the rear view mirror, so to speak. But if that's the belief, if those are the beliefs that we hold about ourselves and we start something new and we start to experience some success that is contrary to our beliefs, this is where self-sabotage comes in and one of the reasons why it happens, like when you get into like the psychology of it and why is it that people self-sabotage, it's because our actions are all of a sudden out of sync or out of alignment with what our own true internal beliefs are and our, and our internal beliefs are that we don't deserve this, we can't do this, we are failures, we are fat, we can't be healthy. And so we have this like correction that we make because we want to be congruent as humans. We want to be consistent with as humans. And this, even if it means going backwards and doing something negative to ourselves, unconsciously, we do that just because of what our beliefs are. Right. It's crazy when you think about this, because it's like, well, why would you, if you're experiencing success, why would you do something to contrary to that, to hurt yourself? What would be one of the strategies here? I mean, you mentioned reframing already, which um, you know would be probably a very useful tool. What what else uh, is like a mental strategy? There, well, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but I think um, you know with each individual, you need to make sure that you are um, finding out more about them. Like, even if you can figure out some of the triggers and cues that have led to the beliefs that they have about themselves as is, like uh, you know some of those limiting beliefs. And then break those down. Um, that's that's one which is that's a lot more complicated than it sounds. It's it's more complicated than just stating that. Um, finding out someone's true why. What what is it that motivates them? Why is it they they want to achieve that goal? What does that goal look like? What does it feel like when you're actually there? What would it mean to you? What would it mean to others if you achieved that? Um, I think that's important. And, and finding out those things and then constant reminders, accountability. Um, and other, and there's a lot of, it's, it's, it's a lot to talk about, but there's a lot of different things that need to be done in order for that to shift. But once that shift has been made, you're not all of a sudden you're, you're aligning your actions with your beliefs and you're heading in the direction that you want to go rather than trying to self-correct towards a negative place that you're comfortable with. Even though you may say you're uncomfortable being fat and unhappy, that's where you're constantly drawn to because that's the beliefs that you have about yourself. So that would be true commitment. Yeah. When everything is aligned, those beliefs and your actions are aligned. A, that is really commitment. It's a true shift. Yeah. Patent pending. That's, <laughs> that's what we call our method is a true shift method. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you feel like you want to add before we, before we go? Uh, you know, for anybody that's, that's maybe stuck in the dieting cycle, um, don't get discouraged because all it means is that you haven't found what's going to work best for you. And if you feel like there does need to be a mental shift, then, then go down that rabbit hole. 
Um, don't just jump from one diet to the next. I mean, the average human, the average American tries five diets per year. For one, that represents a severe lack of commitment and impatience. And so if you look at those that have been successful and those, if you look at those that you maybe aspire to be like, or like, man, this person had a crazy transformation. I wish I could be like them. What's the difference between them and me? And almost every time it's that they didn't give up. They had that perseverance to see, to go through those hard days, those hard times, those disappointing results, but they continued on because it almost never goes at the rate or the pace that we expect it to because we have unrealistic expectations, which isn't even necessarily our fault. It's just what we've been taught through media and social media and, and other, other people. And so the, the key really is to persevere and don't give up. Beautiful. Where can people find out more about you? Best place to find me and, and uh, learn more about what I talk about. I always post on Instagram all the time. So um, Jeff Later, J-E-F-F-L-A-T-E-R is my, my, uh, my handle on Instagram. And all my links are in there too. So that's the best place to, to get in touch with me and, and to find out more about uh, health and fitness. Perfect. And before we go, three rapid fire questions here at the end. Uh, the first one is, what are the top three most influential books you've read? So the first one is Atomic Habits. Uh, that's uh, probably my favorite book. There's so many lessons to be learned. Every time I read it, and I read it at least once a year, um, I find something new and I get something new out of it. Second one is Can't Hurt Me uh, by David Goggins. And that's uh, completely different, but it's all about mental fortitude and, and uh, as he puts it, callousing the mind. Um, but it's becoming tougher as a human, and I think that's something that's really lacking in society these days, and it's, a, it's an incredible story. Um, but it's, yeah, that's something I, I, I read every year as well. And actually, I would recommend the Audible version of that because it's more like a podcast, and he get his commentary in addition to the script in the, in the book. You know, and the third one, you know, there's... <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a, a necessarily a third one because there's so many different books that I've read um, that I really, really like. But the, the, the one that comes to my mind is The Compound Effect. Um, and if, if I was going to say that's my top three, it may not be, but it is one that I, I really resonate with. And it's something that um, it's not even has nothing to do with fitness, but it very much applies to fitness and everything else in life. Um, and it kind of goes along the same lines as, as Atomic Habits. And anybody not familiar with that book, Atomic doesn't mean big. Atomic means very, very small, like the size of an atom. Tiny, tiny little habits that can build up and lead to amazing things, just like a compounding effect that leads to amazing things. And so, so often we try to take these big leaps and bounds to achieve goals, but that's not how it's done. It's done through the little things that we implement, the habits that we implement every single day that lead to the huge successful outcomes that we all want. So don't focus on the outcomes, focus on the habits and the and the new behaviors you need to incorporate into your life and the outcomes will happen organically. What is your morning routine? My morning routine? Um, well, it's shifted quite a bit over the years, but it's something that has been absolutely pivotal for me as a coach and as a person. Um, but the first thing I do when I wake up is I, um, I come down to my office while I get my coffee, I come into my office, I work from home and I do at least five minutes of meditation, sometimes up to 10. I can't, I can't do more than 10. I know some people can do it for like an hour. It's, it's a little more than my patients will tolerate. Um, but meditation, because it kind of clears my head. And then I like to listen to something inspirational um, or read. And it kind of depends on the day. And, and then when I read, mean read, I mean actual a book with text, not listen to it. Uh, so I think you get something out of it differently when you're reading it. Um, and I do that for kind of inspiration as well. And it could lead to a post. It could be to lead to an article that I write um, or me just journaling, which I think is, is good for stress relief. I think it's good to get clarity with your thoughts as well. And then I go and work out and I come home and get ready for my day. And then who is your favorite podcaster right now? Probably Alex Hermosi. <laughs> um, the game. Um, it's, it's just uh Lots of great, simple advice that uh, I just like the way his brain thinks. But um, uh, there's a couple different ones out there. I like the uh, um, Alex Huberin, Huberin pod podcast thing. That's really good. But uh, if, I'm, if I'm choosing one, it'd be the game. 
by Alex Hermosi. I'll listen to that one. I've I've heard of that one a couple times, but I haven't actually looked into that. It's it's it used to be called uh, the Gym Launch Podcast, but he's okay. he's deviated and um, expanded to things other than fitness, and it's it keeps it okay. just keeps getting better and better. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it far and wide with as many friends and family as possible. And please check out my book, Return to Human, How Modern Medicine, the Media, and the Mundane Have Destroyed Our Health and How to Move Back Towards Optimal Health. You can find it on Amazon. Just click the little filter, books. And please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes. That would help us get this message out to way more people. Thank you for listening.